So this guy was uh, at a, uh, like a music festival, it's kind of an outdoor concert, upstate New York, this was years ago, and he was with his son, and uh, they were leaving, they were leaving the, uh, the concert, and he's back in his car out of the, the parking lot, and he, he backs right into another car, uh, another parked car, he gets out, checks out the damage, and nothing to his car, but kind of a lot to the car that he hit, there was nobody around. Uh, he had left the concert early. Uh, his son was four years old, and he, uh, he said it was, retrospect, it was kind of a mistake bringing him. He just, he was a little too young for it, so he got tired, and uh, that's why he left, he left early. So, because of that, he was the only person in the, in the parking lot, and it was in this field. There were no cameras. Nobody saw this. Um, so he's out there and he's kind of looking at the damage and trying to figure out what to do and a bunch of things race through his mind in a couple of seconds. Basically, what do I do? And the different options. So, you know, one was the obvious one, I guess, was, well, leave him a note. You know, leave, put on, on, his, da on his windshield, uh, you know, his name and his phone number and tell him to give him a call. The other thing he flirted with was... Uh, just getting in the car and leaving um, because he know he knew nobody saw this nobody was around he knew he wouldn't get caught and as he's thinking about this he looks and he sees his son in the car and the kid is just looking out the rear you know the rear window watching his father and he's thinking to himself I wonder if he even understands what happened I mean he knew he knew he got in an accident but like if he got in the car and he drove off, would the kid even realize that the father did something wrong? Even if he did, he was four years old, would he even remember this in a couple of years? So he's kind of like a little tug of war in his own head about these questions, these possibilities. Well, anyway, he left the note. He just wouldn't, he didn't want to risk um, his kid understanding what, what happened and what he had just done if he drove away the possibility that maybe he would remember it. Anyway, he told uh, me this story, a group of us, I was on retreat, and he told a group of people. Um, and then he asked this question, and it was really a question he asked himself. He was thinking, uh, what would he have done if he was alone, if his kid wasn't with him, or if his kid was asleep? What if he knew that his son wouldn't know. What would he have done? And then he answered that question. Uh, kind of, he qualified it. It was like a two-part answer. He said, well, if it happened to him when he was in his 30s, he would have left. He wouldn't have left a note. He said if it happened in his, when he was in his 50s, he would have left the note. And then he explained why. He said, you know, between 30 and 50, he kind of grew up spiritually and you know, morally. He then told us about his son, the kid in the car, 10 or 12 years later. He was now a teenager. And he was diagnosed with this uh, 
very rare and very aggressive cancer. And he described uh, a couple of really tough, painful years with this kid's battle. And then he talked about this conversion he, he had. He said when he was 30, you know, uh, faith was really not a part of his life. You know, he, he, you know, he believed in God, but he didn't really practice his faith. He didn't really pray. He didn't really think a whole lot about God. And then his world came apart with his kid's illness. And he described this conversion because he realized when things were getting bad, really bad, dangerously bad with his son, he realized the only place to go was God. The alternative, he said, was despair. And he wasn't gonna let that be an option. So the only place to go was God. And he said he did. In this moment, this period of trial, he went to God, he went to faith. And he said he felt it. He felt God's presence, God's support, God's love. God was there. And that was really his point to us. Real simple one, but I think a really important one. God is here. God is with us. You know, at Christmas, sometimes you see here, uh, you know, uh, in the readings, Emmanuel. Christmas cards, sometimes they'll say, Emmanuel. Well, what that means is God is with us. God is close. God is near. So if he's with us, he's with us. It's not like a light switch. I summon God when I need him. I flick the on switch and then God shows up. And then when all is good, I just turn the light off. Like, that's not the way it works. Actually, I think for all of us, maybe at various times, it is that way, right? Sadly, we kind of use God. When we really need him, when we're really in a jam, we're really good at praying. But when things are going well, we kind of forget. This guy's point was, if God was with him throughout countless hospital visits, and surgeries and moments of fear, if God was with him then and he believed it, then he also said he's with us when you back into the guy's car in the parking lot. Like he's always there. God's not there on our terms. He's there on God's terms which is always, even if nobody sees it, even if your kid is too young to understand it, God sees it. Because God is there. There's this um, movie maker, this movie director, his name is uh, Terrence Malick. If you're a movie person, you'd, you'd probably know the name. He's a very interesting guy. He's been making movies since the early 70s. He's now about 80. He, um, a lot of people consider him kind of a genius. Um, he hasn't made many. He's only made about a dozen movies over 50 years. 
But every time he makes one, it's kind of a big deal because his movies always seem to have something to say. They're always thought-provoking. He, uh, this guy was a philosopher. Like, literally, he studied philosophy. He was a college professor of theology. And then he becomes a movie maker. So all of his movies have got, like, this spiritual, philosophical theme, spirit to them. Anyway, I'm no expert on this guy. I, I think I've seen two of his movies, but the one that I saw most recently, I, I loved it. I saw it about two years ago. It was called A Hidden Life. It's a great movie. It's, uh, it's long. It's like just under three hours, which, you know, I'm not a fan of really long movies. There's not a lot of action. It's not The Avengers. It's not Mission Impossible. But it was really great. It got fantastic reviews. Unlike those other movies, it's not fiction. This movie is based on a, on a real story. It's not about comic book characters or superheroes. But it's about a hero, big time, like a real hero. This guy was uh, from Austria. He, uh, the movie takes place in like the late 1930s, the early 40s. He's a farmer in Austria. And he's got this beautiful life, simple life. The scenery is spectacular in this movie, this Austrian village where he lives in the mountains. It's just beautiful. He's not a rich guy, but he's just, he loves his life, he loves his wife, he loves his kids, he loves this community that he lives in. All is good until Hitler shows up. And uh, Austria is basically taken by the Nazis. Because of that, Austrian men are now being drafted into the German army. And if you draft it into the army, and you've got no choice with that, you've got to make an oath to Hitler, allegiance to Hitler. And this guy won't. So most of the movie, this long movie, is about this struggle, whether he makes this oath or not. And it's kind of simple. If he says the oath, he's sort of off the hook. If he doesn't, he's dead. He's the only one in this village who refuses to take the oath. Everybody else has, or everybody else is going to. And they begin to hate him because of it. What this once, like, loving little small town community, it just gets ugly. But I mean, that's what happens, I think, a lot. When we do something that we're not proud of, that we regret, when we become somebody that we're, we, we wish we weren't, and then you see somebody who hasn't become that way, very often we begin to hate that person. You'd like to think you'd be challenged by them, inspired by them, but I think sadly a lot of times we just hate that person because they remind us of, of what we've done or what we haven't done. Anyway, that happens big time in this little village. They totally shun him and his wife and his kids. He goes to his church. He's a very, very Catholic, prayerful guy. 
He talks to his parish priest. The parish priest says to him, just take the oath. Just take it. This isn't worth it. You got kids, you got a wife. Just say the words. You don't have to mean them, but just, just say it. Well, that's not what he expected to hear from his priest, so he goes to the bishop. The bishop's worse than the priest. Everybody's scared. Everybody's scared. I mean, how could you not be? This is Hitler. But they all act on their fear. This guy won't. Why the refusal? This guy was so God-driven. His faith really, like, directed his life. And he was like, I won't be detoured. I'm not going to promise allegiance to an authority other than Christ. And he didn't. And they beheaded him in 1943. The name of the movie was A Hidden Life. Everything about this movie is interesting. There's so many questions within it. You're kind of like debating things. Even the whole question of, man, you know, you don't make this oath. You don't say this oath. You're leaving these three kids and this wife alone? Hey, that's a legitimate question. Should he have taken the oath? Some would say, well, you're going to orphan these kids? The title of the movie. The priest said to him, listen, you're, you're living a hidden life. Nobody's going to know. Just, just promise to Hitler. Make the oath. No one will ever know. You think your refusal to follow Hitler is going to change anything? You think it's going to change Hitler? You're, you're hidden. Nobody knows you. Well, they were wrong about that. This hidden life thing? Four years ago, Hollywood made an award-winning movie about an event that happened 80 years ago. I'm talking to you about him tonight. He's one step away from becoming a saint in the church. Like he will be a saint one day. This guy wouldn't put anything before God. He knew he wasn't hidden from God. He knew God was close and God was watching. You know, I was watching the movie and it reminded me of another movie. Like, I couldn't believe how much it reminded me. It was almost like, this is like a ripoff. It was like a bad, cheap sequel or something. I was thinking of the movie and the play A Man for All Seasons about St. Thomas More how he stood up to Henry VIII in England. Henry wanted him to grant him a divorce, and he said, no, I'm not gonna do that. God was more important to him than the king, so he was thrown in jail. He was beheaded. It's like the same story. Yeah, different country, a couple of hundred years apart. One was Hitler, the other bad guy was Henry VIII. But it's kind of the same story, retold. There's a great quote in A Man for All Seasons. He's on the, on the scaffold, ready to have his head chopped off. And he said, right before that happened, he said this, I die the king's faithful servant, but God's first. Like, he was okay with having a king. 
And he honored much of what the king was about. Somebody's got to be in charge. You got to pay taxes. You got to follow the rules. You got to have structure. But none of that ever trumps God. I die the king's faithful servant, but God's first. You know, these, these stories, I love them. They make for great movies. They are inspiring. I also find them kind of intimidating, to be honest with you. They're kind of scary. Because I think when we watch them, I know when I do, I put myself in their shoes. And I think, could I, would I? Would I just say, yeah, okay, I honor, I, I pay obedience to Hitler and save my life? What do I become this hero, future saint? He's already a saint. You don't need the church to really declare it. It's like Caesar or God? Hitler or God? Henry VIII or God? And it is kind of intimidating. Then let's step away from those hero stories for a moment. Dial it back. You guys remember the story? This is about maybe 10 or 12 years ago. There was a college girls softball game out west. I think it was in Washington State, I think. It was postseason play, college softball. There's two runners on. This girl is at the plate. She crushes this three-run homer, which puts that, their team up three runs. She's rounding first base, and she blows out her knee hits the ground, screaming. She crawls back to first base. The rule is nobody on her team can come off the bench and go on the field. The best that can happen is they call timeout, they bring in a pinch runner at first. So the home run doesn't count, even though the ball was like beyond the fence. So the first baseman, the other team, walks over to her shortstop, and they kind of huddle together, and then they go to the ump, and they just want to clarify the rule, and the ump does. So they walk over to the girl who's laying on the ground, clutching her knee, and they say to her, we'll pick you up, and we'll carry you to second, and it will lower you down just so you can touch the bag, and then we'll go to third, and then we'll go to home plate and your home run counts. And it did. And they won. So the ones who carried her around, the season ended that night. Well, they were asked about it, big time. Was it worth it, making this choice? Do you pick this girl up? Or do you say, sorry? No home run. And they said, hey, we don't regret it. We did the right thing. And hey, I even get it. Like, you know, some people maybe, you know, if you're really into the rules and really into the, the game, you might say, hey, that's the way it goes. Tough breaks. Okay, okay, there's a place for that, I guess. I don't know if there really is, but maybe there is. Caesar or God, Hitler or God, 
Henry VIII or God? Softball or God? Winning at all cost or God? You know, in that movie, in the beginning of it, I was telling you, it's just the, the scenery is incredible. And they're showing these clips of this village. And then his wife, the guy who died, his wife, you hear her speak. She's not on the camera, you just, it's just almost like a narrator. And she's describing this village and what life was like before Hitler showed up. She says this, how simple things were then. It seemed no trouble could reach our valley. We lived above the clouds. But trouble did come. Hitler came. Trouble always comes, right? Hopefully it's not Hitler trouble. Although look at, look at the Middle East as, we, as I speak. But trouble always comes as long as there's sin, and there always will be, there'll always be trouble. And there'll always be these decisions to be made. What's the right thing to do? And when it's a choice between God and something else, it's really not a choice. Do I leave the note on the windshield? Or do I drive away? To whom do we promise fidelity?